you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Welcome to the NFL Legends Podcast, an NFL podcast for the players, by the players. Here is your host, 14-year NFL veteran and Hall of Famer, Aeneas Williams. Hello, and welcome to the NFL Legends Podcast. I'm Aeneas Williams. Today we sit down with the incomparable, and I can testify to it, uh, I was the victim of one of his uh, shakes. I promise you, I'm in this guy's highlight reel. It's none other than a guy that I've watched from a distance and have got to know just a little, but highly respect his story. And that's none other than Michael Vick, who I believe today's quarterback is really uh, Michael uh, in the year 2020. When I think of Pat Mahomes, I think of uh, Watson, Jackson in Baltimore. When I think of them, I think of Michael Vick, the ability to not just run with the ball, but the ability to throw the ball with precision and depth. So as we discuss Michael's personal journey, how it led to his involvement with initiatives geared towards combating recidivism, I'm so excited. Mike played 15 seasons at quarterback with the Falcons, Eagles, Jets, and Steelers. He was a four-time Pro Bowler and the recipient of the NFL's Comeback Player of the Year Award in 2010. His groundbreaking career forced all of pro football to rethink the quarterback position, and his work today continues to challenge conventional thought. I'm so excited to have you on. Michael, welcome. Thank you, Aeneas. I, I will say this, man. I always judge an interview, you know, at the end by the introduction. And uh, so far, so good. I, I really appreciate those <laughs> kind of words. And, and you can always alleviate the juke move um, that, that I put on you in, in <laughs> my rookie season. You know, you always find a way to bring that up. And I, and I, I appreciate that, man. You help keep me relevant. But hey, look, Aeneas, to be able to do that against a a great player such as yourself, you know, I know you was, you know, respectfully older at that time and uh, I was young and you know how it is when you get them young guys in the league and they fresh, man, because I was a victim of it when I got older, you know, those, you never know what can happen to you, man. So I appreciate you always paying respect to that moment because I don't know if it would happen if, if uh, man, you would have been playing against each other in maybe year two or three of your career, then that, w- that would have been a conversation, but thank you. Well, Michael, uh, happy belated birthday, by the way. You celebrated your birthday on June 26th, and that's my son's uh, birthday as well. He turned 19, just graduated from high school. I'm glad he has the same birthday uh, with you. So happy belated birthday. And you've you've turned 40, man. I I turned 40, yeah. 40 Um, years old. It's hard to believe Michael Vick is 40 years old. Yeah, I know. I know. I, I, and when I think about it, I feel very proud. 
Um, you know, I look back at my life over the last 20 years, you know, that just that interval uh, is it's been um it's been an amazing journey and uh to find myself at this point where you know, I look at life and it's just not all about me anymore. You know, it's mm-hmm. about my family, it's about the people that I can help, the people that I can have an effect on. It'll submit, you know, my legacy as well as the people around me who helped me get there. So, um, you know, I'm just, I'm thankful that I made it to C40, <laughs> you know, because, you know, that's a milestone within itself. And what did you do to celebrate your birthday, Michael? I just had um family and friends come over. I was down in Virginia visiting my mom and my sisters, and I've been down there for the last three and a half months during the COVID. You know, I wanted to just be close to my family. Uh, so my mom, my sisters, you know, um, family and friends, people that I had a lot of, lot of love and respect for uh, was invited over. And I kept the group real small, you know, still wanted to stay conscious of not not wanting to be around a lot of people and invite everyone into our space. So uh, still thinking about, you know, the pandemic that we in. So but so it was a nice crowd, man. It was just good to have, you know, my loved ones over and celebrating a special day with me. So here's a question. At the age of 40. And you mentioned, man, not thinking about yourself as much and thinking about family, thinking about your children. Does that mindset come with age or does it come with experience? Hmm. I, I say it comes with, with a little bit of both. Um, I, I say I say age because, you know, every year you, you grow older, you, at some point, I think any individual should look at his age and say, okay, at this age, you know, it's, it's no set barrier for what I should be doing in my life, but I know I should be growing in a lot of different areas. Like when you turn 30, you don't do the same things that you did when you was 25. Or, you know, when you turn 35, you're looking at 30, like, man, I was a little wild and out of control then. So, you know, I do say age play play a factor. And, and then experiences like everything that you go through within those, you know, five year intervals or however you look at your life, so many things that you're going, going that's going to happen to you, good and bad, you know, ups and downs, and, and mistakes are going to be made. So as you grow older, you know, because of those experiences, I think you should kind of create your life story and chronicle everything to get better. Um, and and that's what I've been able to do over the last, you know, twenty years. But Still knowing that I have another 20 years to go. God bless me. I got to continue to grow and get better. So, um, yeah, it's, it's age and experience both, you know, combined, I think. What would 40-year-old Michael Vick tell Michael Vick when he was a rookie? What's one <laughs> thing, if out of anything you've learned and experienced, what's maybe one thing that comes to mind that you would say to Michael Vick when he was a rookie? Well, I tell you what I would have gave him an ear for. Um, but I don't know if he would have necessarily listened. You know, that's the thing. I was such a hard head, you know, at the age of 20. And then, you know, you talking about age and experience. When I turned 20, I really thought that I was grown and I wasn't even 21 yet, you know? So, you know, but you couldn't tell me anything. I I thought I had all the answers. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, like I turned 25 and I'm looking back at 20, like, man, I really thought I knew something about life and I really didn't. You know, so, you know, right now I would just tell Michael Vick at the age of 20 years old or 21, you know, you're you're not grown, you know, um, respect your elders, continue to, you know, rely on the people who, you know, guided you throughout the last five or six years of your life, whether that had been high school coaches, college coaches, coaches that I had in the NFL because I knew they all had 
you know, my best interests at heart. And I think it would have took me down a different path. And, um, you know, also to, to, to be real conscious of the people that you hang around, you are what you eat, so to speak. And, uh, you know, I would have just drilled that into him and hopefully he would have listened. Now, I will say this. I, I did um, respect people who wanted to give me advice in life. I never just kind of like gave him the cold shoulder. Uh, you know, I wasn't that stubborn or, or you know, that ignorant, I, I would say. You know, I gave him that respect and I tried to listen and take bits and pieces of what they gave to me. But I still was just young with a lot of money and, and uh, it just kind of made me look at life different, you know, like I had all the answers, but I really didn't. How would you help today's player? And I know we'll talk later about mentorship that, that you do. How would you help them understand how to go forward as a, a professional athlete with the friends that they have? How do you help them understand the necessity uh, what needs to happen when it comes down to their friendship, when they've been having friends, their boys, for a long time. Yeah, yeah. What I learned at the age of 40 is, and I stopped using that as a reference, as I grew older, is that my real friends don't really ask me for anything. Um, my real friends, you know, we go out and we have dinner, you know, we can split it four ways. If I decide to pick up the tab, then that's what I decide to do. But the friends that I have, my real friends that I had since I was younger, they'll pick up the tab for me or they won't allow me to pay that bill, you know, just because they know I got it. It was a, It's a respect level and the respect, you know, is labeling ourselves as friends. You know, we don't owe each other anything. You know, we owe each other respect and loyalty, you know, if that's what we can provide. So, you know, I, I've learned that those people in my life you know, are the ones that I want to continue to be around every day because the relationship, the friendship don't come with any strings attached. It's like, I know what drives you and what motivates you and what you like and what you don't like and, and vice versa. And we can kind of keep it at that and just have fun and enjoy life. And, and you know, those are your real friends. And that's yeah. a, a word that comes to me, uh, having listened to you describe it, the type of friend you want around you is, it sounds like it needs to be mutual. Yeah. Yeah, like an understanding, like um, every time we go somewhere, I shouldn't be half the one. And, you know, I know it's not all about money, but I've learned through my experiences because of who I was and what I had that, you know, some people just aren't your friends. They're around just to get what they can get, you know, and friends will come and go. But you know who the real ones are. And I just tried to stay in that space. Um, and I had to learn that over time. You know, I think throughout this whole conversation, we'll talk about age and we'll talk about experience and that's just another example of it. You know, I had to find out who my real friends were. And the majority of them was the ones that I grew up with, you know, from the age of seven to 11. You know, they understood me better than anybody else. They knew me. I knew them. And uh, we can be grown and, and, and have that same kid relationship in a sense, but being grown men, you know, so to speak. So it's even better now. You know, I cherish those friendships now even more. As we shift in now some of the work that you're doing as a as a result of some of the experience you have, I find it's fascinating. When we talk about recidivism, we're talking about the tendency of those released from prison to re-offend. Yeah. For those formerly incarcerated, their release is a second chance at life. Michael, what are your thoughts on release being a second chance to do things differently for those formerly incarcerated? 
Uh, it, it means a lot. It means so much to me to have a second chance, like over the last 10 years, more than people will ever know. You know, I always try to take the time to thank Tony Dungy and, and Roger Goodell and, and Andy Reid and Arthur Blank, Kevin Winston from the Atlanta Falcons, because the, they they cared about me as a person, as a as a man more than anything. Um, I didn't even come back and play for the Atlanta Falcons. I went and played for the Philadelphia Eagles, but Arthur Blank was there every step of the way. Wow. Um, and that, that was my second chance. Like, so if, if, you know, if I would have been just like the average, um, you know, citizen, which I was, you know, when I came home, I, I came home to nothing. I had no money. I was in bankruptcy. And I, I knew I had a long walk and, a, a you know, a journey ahead of me. So, you know, to, to have a chance to, you know, have people in my corner was that was my second chance, you know, and and I thank God I had a platform for that second chance, and that was my reentry was back into you know society, my family, and then the National Football League, which was my profession that I really loved. You know, it was a dream of mine growing up, so it meant a lot to me. Those people was there to help me. And that was my second chance, and I had that platform when ninety nine point nine percent of men and women come home from prison, they don't have an opportunity. They don't have a chance to excel through their reentry. You know, mainly because of the things they have to go through. One, if they they have a felony on their record, and and, and two, you know, you, you you perceive different. You know, you you stereotype, and that's just real. You know, what I want to do is create change, create an opportunity for you know men and women coming home to have a second chance. They have a second chance to to have no excuses and to do it right through the program that we're in the preliminary works on building. Um, this is going to be amazing. Um, I found out what the root of the problem was, you know, talk to a guy who had just been released from prison after a crime he didn't do for 26 years, didn't come out bitter. All he wanted was a chance, opportunity. Met him over the last three months, and we've been able to come up with what the root of the problem is. And, and that's housing and transportation. You know, when they do have that, they have a chance that, making their reentry a success. So we kind of stopped right there. And I looked at that as them having a second chance and what would that look like um, if we can create a program centered around that. So I found out that that was the root of the problem. I want right. to continue to talk about it. And you might have some more questions, but I get excited when I talk about it because I, I look at the amount of people that we're going to have an effect on. And this is something that can last a lifetime. As it stands now, most current second chance efforts aren't aimed at African-Americans, Michael. Talk about the Just Us system you're involved in and how your second chance was the driving force pairing you with it. Uh, well, I feel like my second chance wouldn't happen um, without certain people. And um, those people know who they are. And, and the great part about it was that you know, I had a platform, but... In today's time, you know, just realistically, everyone don't have that platform. And for the last 30, 40, 50 years, we don't have that platform. You know, I think some, whether black or white, predominantly black, we just don't have resources and we don't have people who can reach in and pull us out of the situation that we're in. So, you know, I found out when doing some research that, you know, when most inmates come home, men and women, that they come home to um, no form of housing, and no form of transportation. Mm -hmm. But what will happen is that they'll go through the entire uh, process of passing courses and curriculums while incarcerated. I know because I did it myself. 
you come come home with with a lot of accolades and a lot of certificates, but it don't equate to you know the change that's necessary and needed needs to be made. So what they do is they end up, you know, after about a month when they feel like they they don't have anything or they don't have any hope, they end up going back and you know just regressing into the person that they was, not the person they came out as when they was reentered back into society. You know, it's because of housing and transportation, you know, that they don't have a chance to carry out, you know, what their dreams may, may become because now they're worried about where they're going to stay and how, and how they're going to get there. And I just felt like that was a great starting point, man. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to come home and have people in my corner and it's just a gazillion people who don't. And uh, if I can help, you know, 50, 60 people a year, you know, create some type of platform for themselves where they can believe that, you know, the system actually works. You know, we take these classes, we go through these courses, you know, we come out, we can become out, come, we can come out better because we have people who are going to reach in and, and help us get to where we need to go. I think that's very important, man, because it'll, it'll keep the crime rate down. People won't be repeat offenders. And, um, you know, those people can go off and teach other people how to, you know, become successful in life. And then they'll just get assistance, you know, whether that assistance come from the state, local, the Bureau of Prisons, you know, transitional programs, um, things that we're getting involved in, people that we're going to be, you know, in direct connection with to help us make sure our program can sustain for years. We want to, as a program, go out and buy property, create housing situations for the inmates create transportation opportunities for the inmates, whether it's through Uber accounts, whether it's through partnering with, with the local car dealership, whatever it may be. Like I say, everything is still in the works as of right now, right. but this is something that hasn't been done. The surface hasn't been scratched. And I know that, you know, inmates come home and they come home to nothing. They come home to no opportunity. Uh, and, you know, they end up going back to prison uh, and, and this proven fact. Um, so, you know, I decided to create this program where people going to actually look into, you know, helping people when they re-enter, when they re-enter back into society, because it's so important. Like these are the same people that you walk past in the grocery stores and you might see, you know, at the local gas stations and, you know, they might be sitting there thinking about doing something crazy because their life is in a bad mental state. You know, they don't know who to turn to. They don't know where to go. They can't find a job. Okay, this has been such an important issue that we're going to make it a two-parter. Stay tuned for part two of our podcast. This has been the NFL Legends Podcast. To provide feedback or request a topic for discussion, email us at nfllegends at nfl.com. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.